the end of service this morning, we're going to continue with our time of worship the second Sunday of the month, and some of the leaders and elders in the church will be up front here in these four chairs, in these two rows that are reserved for you to come up front during that time of worship and receive prayer for things that you might need um, intervention for, whether it's an illness, whether it's a repenting of, your, of sin or committing your life to the Lord, um, whether it's intervening for someone else who you know and love. Um, that you have been praying for and you wish to continue to pray for, whatever the case may be, God tells us to come and to pray together and to lift up our needs together before him. And, and we believe that God hears our prayers and we believe that God answers our prayers. And so we make time for that this morning. And we know that God still works today in supernatural, miraculous ways. And we've seen that happen in our own fellowship and in our own lives. And, and this is a time to, to ask God to do those things for you. So please uh, be thinking about that and um, uh, praying about who you can even be interceding for as you come and, and join us uh, in, in prayer uh, at the end of our service. Um, in Exodus chapter 8, um, let me get back here to where I need to be. I apologize for that. got distracted by all the things going on this morning. Um, in Exodus chapter 8, it's a continuation through our study. And back in chapter 7, if you've been here with us, we've read, um, in chapter 7, we read about the first of the ten plagues. Literally, the Greek word there translates from plagues to blows. And it's, it's a cool picture for us because what God said he was going to do is he said that he was going to stretch out his mighty arm a mighty hand against Pharaoh and the Egyptian people if Pharaoh would not heed God's request or demand, however you want to look at it, to let his people go. And, and it's this idea of God, God reaching out and striking Egypt in their hard-heartedness and in their rebellion. And, and we've seen that take place as, as, as God would strike Egypt and his people ten particular times before this thing would, before this, this conflict would come to some kind of resolution. And each of these ten plagues what I pointed out as we begin this, they varied. Each of the ten plagues varied in order to correspond to the ancient Egyptian gods and goddesses that were prevalent during Moses' time in Egypt, during the days of ancient Egypt. And, and when God struck Egypt with that very first blow, which we read about last a couple weeks ago, we know that it was specifically directed at the, 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 the um, Egyptian god Hapai. And um, Hapai was a fertility god who was worshipped specifically in conjunction with the annual flooding of the Nile River and where the waters of the Nile would overflow the banks and it would fill these canals and it would deposit fertile soil. And like I said a couple weeks ago, it would literally turn Egypt into an oasis in the desert. And, and, and as we see that, what we want to look at is, is, is more important than what God was doing individually is to see what God was doing wholly, meaning that these ten plagues that God would strike Egypt with really was, is, is, was and is, is a representation of the fullness of God's judgment and God's justice really upon those who will refuse to repent. And ten times God, through Moses, would give Pharaoh, this is what we see going on through each one of these plagues, is that God's giving Pharaoh this opportunity to repent, to change his mind, to turn away. And to turn to God, the one true God. But each time Pharaoh refused, what we know and what we'll see as we continue on now through chapter 8 is that the severity of the consequences of the blow or of the plagues increased. And Pharaoh, consequently, and his people suffered 
greatly for Pharaoh's disobedience. His disobedience to honor God's request to let the people go. And when God first stretched out his arm against Pharaoh, he struck the waters of the Nile River by turning it into blood. Consequently, we are told that the fish in the river died. As you can imagine, the river began to stink, and the Egyptian people did not have the water that they were used to to drink. Matter of fact, we're told that they had to dig wells. And God allowed for the Nile River to remain in the state for seven days in order that Pharaoh and the Egyptian people might come to know that the God of the Hebrews was Lord over all. And rather than acknowledge this truth, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not heed God's demand to let his people go. So here, if you look with me in chapter 8, we now begin to read about the second, the third, and the fourth plague or blow that God would strike Egypt with. And each time, one thing I want you to notice, we're going to look at this at the end of the service today, is that each time we see that Pharaoh would continue to harden his heart towards God. So in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses said, Moses and, and said, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all of your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into your houses, on your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. In other words, they're going to be everywhere, right? And verse 4, the frogs shall come upon you, on your people, and on all of your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with, with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So verse 6, Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians these sorcerers of Pharaoh, right? They, we've seen them before. And it says that they did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. And you have to wonder, when you see them keep doing this, keep making it worse, you got to wonder just how smart these guys really were, right? Oh, yeah, we're overran with a plague of frogs. Let's make more frogs. It just doesn't make much sense. But in verse 8, it says, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When shall I intercede for you, for your servants, and for your people to destroy the frogs from you and your house that they may remain only in the river? So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And verse 11, the frogs shall depart from your house, from your homes, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. So they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, guys, 
he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become like become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. And the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, the magicians, once again, so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice. And I'll add the word more, more lice. But they could not, something different. So there were lice on man and beast, and the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he could not heed them just as, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. So verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out of the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else. You don't ever want to be in that spot with God, right? I've been there. Maybe you too. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on your servants and on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also on the ground in which they stand. I can't imagine what that would be like. It would be awful, as you guys probably could try to imagine. And we've even had like this box elder bug infestation in the church. And, and on Wednesday, I'm sitting here teaching. I'm sitting down because I teach not from the pulpit, just sitting down up here. And, like a box elder bug dropped down on me and I thought it was a spider. It freaked me out. But I can't imagine just swarms of them everywhere. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a country or in a place where it's been like that, but every once in a while in some places in the summertime around here, there can be those gnats that get in, in the pinion trees. And I mean, they get in your eyes and in your ears and in your mouth. And I've been to Africa and out in the villages there, and, and um, they're so bad you can't even keep them off you. You just, just you don't get used to it. You just have to allow them to be on you. So I can, I can, I can, I only can imagine how awful this must have been. But as we read on, we're told about, and in that day, something different here also in verse 22, I will set apart the land of Goshen. Remember, that's where the Hebrew people were dwelling, in which my people will dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. So I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the houses of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before the eyes, then will they not stone us? And remember, the, 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 the Hebrews would have sacrificed with, with bulls and with lambs, and, and we know that in the Egyptian culture that these were honored as gods, right? And so and not only was this wrong because God had commanded something else, but, but Moses was pointing forth this truth, just this practical truth that, it would not be a safe thing for them to do so there. And, um, and so in verse 27, we will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, here's the key, as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord God in the wilderness, and only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. 
And Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from the people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore, and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So, the Moses, so Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And they removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remain. And you guys know that's a good thing because there's always that one little pesky fly getting around in your house you can't kill. It says verse 32, But Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also, and neither would he let his people go. Let's pray. Lord, as we study your word and read through it and come together, God, to hear truth, we profess your word to be truth. God, we want to continue to build our lives upon your word. We want it to enter into our hearts so that we may not sin against you. God, we want to, we want to be transformed by your word. We want to be conformed to you. So I pray, Lord, that you would do this with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we'll go back to the beginning of this chapter and we continue on with the, the context of what we're reading about. We see that the first verses here are really a response to Pharaoh's hardened heart. Remember? His hardened heart and his refusal to let the Hebrew people go. And, and in response to that, God spoke to Moses once again and he sent him back to Pharaoh with the same message. Let my people go. Let my people go. But when Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh at this time, there was something different in that they warned him. They warned him about the second plague that God had said he was going to send if Pharaoh refused to honor God, if he refused to let God's people go. And here in verses 3 and 4, God told Pharaoh very specifically that the frogs were going to come up out of the river, they were going to go into their houses into their beds, into their ovens and their cooking utensils, and that then, and I, I don't know what this would look like, but they were even going to come up on him and his people. But Pharaoh ignored this warning. And because he refused to let the Hebrew people go, the frogs, according to verse 6, came up out of the waters and they covered the land. when Aaron had stretched out his hands over Egypt, just like God had said. Now, in ancient Egypt, some of you may know this, but the ancient Egypt, the, the frog was a symbol of fertility. It was worshipped as well. And um, the Egyptian people, in conjunction with the frog, worshipped another god by the name of Hecate, the goddess of the resurrection, the goddess of fertility and, 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 and the goddess of childbirth. And this woman, you may have seen these depictions of her in some, some ancient history books or some of our history books that, that account ancient Egypt history. But she, this, this goddess had a woman of a body and the head of a frog. And so by this second plague, the second blow, God was again making himself, first of all, known to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people, but doing so while showing him that he was greater than their false gods and that he alone was the one true God. And even though Pharaoh's magicians were once again able at this point to duplicate what God had done by bringing up even more frogs onto the land, we see that they could not get rid of them. They could duplicate it, but they could not um, 
advocate it. They could not get rid of it. And for the first time, we see in this plague, at this, this second point, we see a crack really in Pharaoh's resolve to resist God. There's a, dis- there's a difference in, in, in resolve and, and submission. And there's this crack in Pharaoh's resolve to resist God, and it's here in verse 8 when he called for Moses and Aaron, and he sought to make a deal. I'm going to make a deal with this God of the Hebrew people, right? He's going to make a deal with them. But sadly, this offer to let the Hebrew people go, if God would take away the frogs, it had nothing to do with Pharaoh's heart being submitted to God or being submitted to God's will. Rather, it was only about, here's the thing to notice, it was only about getting out of the, the difficult circumstances, the awful situation that he was now in, right? And the, and the fact of the matter is, is this something I think that we can probably all relate to? Something that we've all probably done. As we have also found ourselves suffering at times as a result of our sin, as the consequences of our sin, the choices that we made, the rebellion against God. And in those moments, I don't know about you, but I have cried out to God with promises to never do that again. Or promises to do some kind of good deed if God would just get me out of the current troubles that I've got myself into. But this truth, but the truth is, this is, is that our cries in those moments to God it has nothing really to do with us wanting to submit to God, does it? To submit our lives to Him. The only, they, they only, those cries, they only have to do with getting out of the painful things that we're now experiencing. And in doing so, we like Pharaoh in those moments because our heart's not right with God still. In those moments, we see the relief that we have asked God for, but then what? We harden our hearts. We harden our hearts and we fail to keep the promises that we've made. We do it again. The good deeds aren't enough. And even though God may have been merciful towards us like he was towards Pharaoh at this time, the fact of the matter is, guys, God's not into making deals. God's not into making deals. In fact, He will never relent when it comes to us submitting our lives and our will and our hearts to Him. He doesn't make a deal. It's His way or no way. But God does pour out, like He did here for Pharaoh. He does pour out, the Bible tells us, His loving kindness. Even when we are in the midst of our sin... Even when we're midst of our rebellion, the Bible says, in order to lead us to the place of repentance. But this mercy of God is not something that we should quickly disregard. For the end of this is exampled by Pharaoh, and, and we see that it leads to even a greater destruction. In fact, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul wrote about in the book of Romans, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, when he asked this question and said, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with the hardness of your 
hardness in, in the, in, in your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation in the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. So as we look at Pharaoh, we see that because of the frogs, Pharaoh agreed to let the Hebrew people go if, if they were removed. And even though God kept up his end of the deal by causing these frogs to die, we read in verse 15 that when Pharaoh saw that there was relief. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he once again hardened his heart and refused to let God's people go. And this moved the Lord, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but in verse 16, this moved the Lord to strike Pharaoh in Egypt for a third time. And this time it was without warning. And, and we see that in doing so, God caused the dust of the land to become lice, that filled all the land of Egypt. Now, depending on what translation you have, it, it may read something a little different. And, and um, my, I won't get to that here, but many Bible scholars suggest that this plague, this blow, was also an attack against another Egyptian god, a god by the name of Geb. And Geb was the god of the earth. And some translations read that the dust turn not only, maybe not into fleas, but some say gnats or, or even mosquitoes. Fleas, gnats, or mosquitoes rather than lice. And this is because the Hebrew word here that is used is the word kinim. And it's, it's not very specific in, in its, its translation. And it, and it can accurately be translated and is in other places to, to either, either one of these kinds of insects. But Whatever kinds of insects they were, whatever kind of insects they were, we knew that they were the small blood-sucking type. That's, that's what, what we're dealing with here, the small blood-sucking type. And, and because they swarmed the whole land of Egypt, they would have made life very miserable. I had the blessing this year of going to uh, Alaska for a short while to help a friend out who's got a, a fishing lodge up there. It was early in the year, but it was still warm enough for mosquitoes. And the mosquitoes in Alaska, they are as big as birds. And there's this one little lake that was up behind the lodge where you could do some pike fishing. And I walked up there one evening, and I had my whole face covered, everything covered except for my hands. And, and I had no gloves and up there fishing. I had to stop fishing in like five minutes because every time I looked down, it, it was just my hands were black with mosquitoes. And, and that night, I laid in bed all night long, just, uh, little blood-sucking canims. And, and, and this is what they were dealing with. Life was miserable. But what is more important for us to take note of is that according to verse 18, these magicians of Pharaoh, for the very first time, they were unable to duplicate what God had done. And this caused them to then testify, to bear witness, to speak truth, right? To testify to Pharaoh that they believe this work to be the work of God. And yet, Pharaoh still hardened his heart. Nevertheless, this amazes me, in the state of hard-heartedness, God was patient. If I was God, Pharaoh would have been dust. But it amazes me that God, even in this instant, was patient with Pharaoh. He was long-suffering with Pharaoh. And this is important because we know that God, our God, at this moment, with one single blow, could have wiped Pharaoh and the whole nation out and had his way. 
In fact, when we get to to chapter 9 next week, God himself would declare this. In chapter 9, verse 15, you can turn over there and look. God would declare this when he said, he says, For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off of the earth. And the same is true in regards to us. In those days when we rebelled against God, when we hardened our heart, when we resisted him, but yet God is patient, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, not willing, as 1 Peter 5 chapter says, not willing that any of us should perish, but that we would repent and that we would come to have eternal life. And this is what God did for Pharaoh. God did not strike him, and he gave him mercy And he gave Pharaoh yet another chance to repent. And in verse 20, God spoke to Moses, and he sent Moses again back to Pharaoh with the same message. Let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. God gave a second warning. This time, again, a second warning, lovingly telling Pharaoh that if he refused, then he would strike Egypt for a fourth time with a plague of flies. Flies that would swarm on him and on his people and fill their houses and their ground and the ground on which they stood. And Pharaoh must have refused, even though it doesn't say so, because in verse 24, it tells us that the Lord did so. And thick swarms of flies came, and it says that it corrupted the land. And like Pharaoh had previously done with the plague of frogs, he called for Moses and Aaron. But this time we see that Pharaoh didn't seek to make any deals, did he? No deals this time. Rather, he made a compromise. He made a compromise by giving permission in his mind for the people to worship their God, for the Hebrew people to worship their God, as long as they remain in his land. You can worship your God, you just can't leave. But just like God's not in the business of making deals, guys, God's not in the business of compromise. And when Moses insisted that they leave the land, we see in verse 28 that Pharaoh relented and he just asked Moses, said, intercede intercede for me. To intercede for him so that the swarms of flies would depart. But even though, even though Moses warned Pharaoh in this time, because Moses wasn't any fool, even though he warned Pharaoh not to deal deceitfully with them at this time, we see that once the flies were gone, Pharaoh again hardened his heart And would not let the people go. Now as we take a moment here, some time with what we have left, I think, in our service, to look at this issue of Pharaoh hardening his heart. I think it's important that we do so. As we look at this, I want us to remember that Pharaoh had first begun to harden his heart back in chapter 7, even before the plagues came. He hardened his heart when God had transformed Aaron's rod into the serpent. Do you remember? And the magicians at that time also cast down their serpents. And, and even though Aaron's rod had been changed into serpent, consumed or ate the other serpents, we know that Pharaoh at that moment, at that time, began this, this process of hardening his heart. Then Pharaoh further hardened his heart when the magicians duplicated what God had done by turning the water last week. The water into blood, and then again by multiplying the frogs. And as many of you know, Pharaoh would continue to harden his heart all the way through this process, through every one of the plagues. And in light of this, I think it's important for us to be warned. 
We look at Pharaoh's example and we should be warned. And we should also look to understand in light of this what it means to harden our own hearts against God. And when we consider Pharaoh's example and other passages of Scripture that talk about the hardening of our hearts, like Obadiah verse 3 and Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18, what we can see is that, here it is, the hardening of our hearts towards God means that we see, first of all, and that we also experience, like Pharaoh, we see and experience the clear evidence of God's hand at work, and we still refuse. We refuse to accept God's word as a foundation for our lives. We refuse to submit to God's will. Furthermore, it means to resist God in these areas by showing a lack of gratitude. No praise, no worship, no appreciation for who God is and what he's done. Not only by showing a lack of gratitude, but also a willful disobedience, and furthermore, not having any fear of God or of his judgments. And in that is complete foolishness because the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs over and over and over again that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. In other words, hard-hearted people say, we at those times in our lives say in one way or another like Pharaoh did with Moses to Moses back in chapter 5 verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Is that not? what it is like when we harden our heart against God. We may not articulate those words exactly, but that's exactly what we do by the deeds when we disobey, when we don't give praise, when we don't give thanks, when we have no gratitude, when we don't live in fear, that holy fear, that reverence of God and His judgments. When God's made Himself known, when He's spoken the truth to us, and we resist. Even though we have read... I want to bring this up because it's in the text, and someone mentioned it at the end of service last week, and it's a good point, and I just don't want to, 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 to skip right over it. But, but even though we've read and will read that it was Pharaoh who hardened his hearts to God, towards God, I also want to point out that we've also read, and we will read that, here's the key, that by sending these judgments, these various judgments, these various plagues, these various blows, God, it says, was hardening Pharaoh's heart. We see that. That word, that phrase used also in conjunction, Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart. And this might seem a little contradictory to us and even as if God was maybe being unfair, right? Because Pharaoh would have never had a chance if it was God who was hardening his heart and therefore how can Pharaoh be responsible for what he did? But the fact of the matter is, is even though God was the one sending these plagues by which Pharaoh's heart was increasingly hardened, was God responsible for the plagues? Absolutely. Was Pharaoh's heart rehardened as a result of it? Absolutely. And even though that was the case, the truth is, just like for us, Pharaoh was responsible for how he responded. Pharaoh was responsible for how he responded. And the truth is, these plagues could have been the very thing that had softened Pharaoh's heart towards God. It could have been. That was God's desire, clearly. In other words, it's been said like this, the same sun which melts the ice also hardens the clay. You see? The same sun which melts the ice also hardens the clay. And therefore, the determining factor in our own lives, in Pharaoh's lives, is Pharaoh's life in this situation that we're talking about, is dependent upon the nature of the material. 
And sadly, Pharaoh made multiple choices, not just one, but multiple choices up to this point, and many more from this point on made choices to ultimately be the clay that was being hardened. And he would do so all the way to the end, all the way to the end of his encounter with God. And we see that Pharaoh remained proud and unrepentant as he refused to hear God's word, as he refused to do God's will, or even to keep his own promises that he had made to the Jewish people. The bottom line is that Pharaoh was responsible for the hardening of his heart and for the consequences that followed as a result of his choices, considering God had graciously given him so much evidence, right? Even up to this point, so much evidence, and yet so much more God's graciously going to pour out onto Pharaoh as he, as, he, as he deals with these gods that they worshiped showing himself to be the only true God, but also revealing his power and his authority and his mercy before Pharaoh's rebellious heart, right before his face. Giving him so much evidence to convince him that the gods of Egypt were false and that he, the God of the Hebrews, was the one true and loving God. And in doing so, you know what God did? He left Pharaoh without any excuse. Pharaoh was without excuse. The Bible tells us that man will stand before God on judgment day and have no excuse. It won't be like, I didn't know. Because God's a just God. He's a loving God. But you know what? What God did for Pharaoh, God does for all men. And such is the case as all men, as the apostle made it clear that God reveals the truth And sadly, the wickedness of men who harden their hearts against God suppress that truth. And and, and as a matter of fact, Paul writes about that and he says, we do that in those moments, in those times, simply because, this is my translation for me, he says, because we want to do what we want to do. God reveals the truth, we suppress the truth, the wickedness of our hearts, because we want to be justified in our minds for doing what we do. And he wrote this in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, which tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, the Bible says. Why? Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that all men, it says, Paul says, are without excuse. And, and, and this is obviously taking about the, talking about the bigger picture in regards to submitting a life to Christ and, 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 and coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ and recognizing God as, as, your, as, your, as, the, as the one who you now serve and love. But this also applies to our daily lives where we're tempted by sin or our wickedness in our heart draws us away to sin. It's not as if we enter into that sin and go, well, I just didn't know. Because God says he makes the truth known to us. He loves us enough to go, don't go there, don't do that, that's not good for you. And yet we suppress the truth. Because the wickedness in our hearts, something that God's made plainly known to us, and we go after it. That's a hardening of the heart. 
that we can fall prey to. Now, in hardening his heart against God, I want to point out that Pharaoh also did so by not receiving God's mercy. This is so key. Because it wasn't just about warning and, 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 and going, hey, do what I say, Pharaoh. But Pharaoh also hardened his heart against the mercy of God. For example, I think it's safe to say, as we've already kind of spoken about this, it's safe to say that the life for the Egyptian people were miserable at this point. When, when thousands upon thousands of frogs climbed out of the water and invaded every area of the life, when the, 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 the biting insects and the swarms of flies, all this. And when we look back to, the, to just the frog thing, we see that life was so miserable that Pharaoh, in, in his pride and in, in his his dictatorial reign as one of the the most powerful men on all of the earth that he in this moment was willing to ask Moses to remove these frogs and he even admitted if you notice this he even admitted that they've been sent by God furthermore we see that Pharaoh was so anxious to be rid of the frogs that he finally offers the Jewish to let the Jewish people go on their trip to worship God simply if Moses would comply with his request to get rid of the frogs and even though we know, because we see the story, we know the, 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 the whole account, we know that it was a deceitful strategy to remove the plague, Moses cried out to God concerning the frogs, and God mercifully took action. It wasn't like God was like, oh, I can't believe Pharaoh didn't keep his end of the deal. Got me on that one. No, God knew, but what did God do? He mercifully removed the frogs. He poured out his mercy upon Pharaoh. And because Pharaoh refused to let God's people go, like he had said, we see that really his hardening of heart was a rejection of God's mercy. Where God was merciful to him. He said, no, no. Now, in addition to not receiving God's mercy, we also see that Pharaoh also hardened his heart to God's power, to God's authority, which is scary. To harden your heart against God's mercy is one thing, but to harden your heart against the power, the revealed power and authority of God is another Remember, because Pharaoh had still refused to let God's people go, to, to let the Hebrew people go, we know that God sent this plague of lice and these swarm of flies, right? And when Pharaoh, Pharaoh's magicians couldn't duplicate, I love this part, because when they couldn't duplicate what God had done, they willingly admitted that it was the finger of God. And it's interesting to point this out. And whenever I see a phrase like that, I always like to go into the other passages of Scripture in the Bible and go, where else is that used? That's a, that's a familiar phrase. And when you do this study, it's really interesting because every time this phrase, the finger of God, is referenced in Scripture, it's always in association with the authority or the power of God being revealed to man. For example, in Psalm 8, verse 3, psalmist writes, and he, he refers to the finger of God. The finger of God is spoken of in regards to the creation of the heavens and in the earth. And we know that God just simply spoke it into existence, but yet it's used there metaphorically for us to see it as a demonstration of God's power and authority. The, by the finger of God, 
But also in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10, the finger of God is connected specifically with the giving of the law, right? And you guys have seen the pictures, right? The, the artistry where the finger of God is coming down and, and writing into the tablets the law that, that, that was given to Moses. God's authority given to man. Also in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, I love this because Jesus Christ himself refers to the finger of God and he refers to it as a means by which he casts out demons. Not his own authority, not his own power, but by the power of God, the finger of God. And the point is, is even in the face of this demonstration of God's power and authority, Pharaoh refused to submit to the Lord and he hardened his heart even more. Now as we close, when we get ready for our time of prayer and worship, I, I want to do this to wrap it up. I want to draw your attention back to verses 9 and 10, if you'll look there with me. And I want to draw your attention back to verses 9 and, and 10, because in these verses it tells us that, kind of going back, I know, but it's, it completes this picture for us, I think, guys. It tells us that Moses, that Moses agreed to intercede for Pharaoh, and that he would ask God on Pharaoh's behalf to destroy the frogs. And in doing so, in verse 9, we see that, that Moses does this unusual thing. He says, Pharaoh, I'm going to give you the honor. I'm going to give you the honor of saying, when do you, when you want me to intercede? Literally, when do you want God to remove these frogs? And in verse 10, Pharaoh, who probably had, now keep in mind, if you've ever hold a frog or a toad, sometimes they're outside in front of the church and you pick them up and inevitably what's going to happen? You can get some warts. Eric's proof of that. <laughs> if you ever held one of those things for any amount of time, they're going to leave some excrement in your hand. Right? Especially if you squeeze them and they get scared and then they also leak some stuff. I don't know what that is. But think about this at this time. Pharaoh, who probably had frogs all around him, in his bed, on his floor, in his ovens, on his servants, on him, also had all of this frog juice. Probably on him. And Moses is going, okay, Pharaoh, I'll entreat the Lord for you. When? Just tell me when. Do you want these frogs to leave. And what does Pharaoh say? Tomorrow. Now, doesn't make much sense, does it? And we can look back and we can go, well, to the Hebrew people, the frog was a sacred thing. Right? It was something they worshipped. They held in high esteem. They valued this. And really what we see here is, is I point out this foolishness because I think if, if, if we look at it from a right perspective, we're going to go, Moses, I want the frogs gone now. Now. I want them gone. I don't want to see them. Do it now. But I point out this foolishness, guys, because it's a perfect picture of sin in our own lives. And we come to this place where we entreat the Lord. We ask to all live holy lives, sacred lives, separated and given unto the Lord. Where we soften our hearts and we go, Lord, your will be done, not my own. And yet, 
we hold on to our sin. We don't take the necessary steps to honor God and to be free from the excrement that's all over us. And we go, tomorrow, one more day, just a little more. Not yet. And I think when we look at that through that lens, it gives a little bit of a different understanding of why Pharaoh said tomorrow. Because there's things in our lives that are sinful that we hold on to, that we love, that we worship, that we, we, don't, we want to get rid of, but we don't want to get rid of, even though we know that it's not good for us, even though we know that it's causing misery in our lives. So this morning, I think God's challenging us, guys, to not be like Pharaoh, not to harden our hearts for sure. But also, if there's sin in your life, things that we've been holding on to, that God's revealed to us is something that's not good, that's not favorable. He's poured out his mercy. He's shown us his power and his authority, that today's the day. The Bible says that today's the day of salvation. Today is the day to turn from sin and to turn to the Lord. Justin, worship team want to come up? We're going to... I'm going to pray, and these guys are going to lead us in a couple of songs of worship. The elders and some of the leaders of the church are going to come forward and fill these chairs. I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that spot where you walked into this door this morning, God was speaking to you about things in your own life that, that you know need to leave. Frogs, lice, flies, whatever it is, these, these false gods that we construct, that we worship, that we bow down before and put it before the Lord, I would, I would encourage you today to come and to receive prayer, to, to be delivered from them today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you, God, for this word that was written so many thousands of years ago that is still living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that applies to our lives. I pray, God, that we would not be like Pharaoh and harden our hearts and simply um, not receive what you've made known to us, God, your goodness, your kindness, your power, your authority, your mercy, your love. But God, that we would respond and that we would turn and that we would submit our hearts and lives to you. God, may we live for your glory and not for our own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Seth, being dim lights, thanks.